Thank you. So if you would like to, uh, please go ahead. If you would like to find out more about what it looks like to invest into somebody else's life, I know the Downies are welcoming everybody to everybody. They're welcoming everybody to their house. And so that's actually where it's going to take place. And so over at the Connect Center, if you want to sign up for that, I know they would love for you to be a part of that. Hey, if, uh, if you want to, if you grab a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. And if you want to turn on your phone, that's okay. If you don't have a Bible, those Bibles there, uh, we love to lose them, meaning please take them with you. If, you. if you don't have a Bible, please take it with you. You're going to be in Luke chapter 6, in, in, uh, verses 39 and 40. And let me share again kind of, kind of what we're doing. We're going through a series, and we're talking about the vision that God has for this church. And I think it's God's vision for every church, because I think it's the vision that Jesus gave us in making disciples. Now, often, I think in the Christian church, discipleship becomes contextualized around the culture of churches, and particularly cultures of churches in the West. And so for me, that meant knowledge. To grow in the church in the West and the church that I grew up in, or not kind of grew up in, but just when I came to faith, the church that I went to, maturity was defined in some ways by knowledge, filling in the blanks, uh, different studies, and all of that was important, and it laid a foundation But the language of discipleship, it comes out of a context that's not so much just about the accumulation of knowledge. It's about allowing that knowledge to change us and then to actually go out and do what Jesus himself did. That the knowledge isn't enough. Instead, God wants to move us out into the world to be an influence for the kingdom of God. And what that looks like in the language that it comes from is this language between a rabbi and their Talmudin. Now, Talmudim is the Hebrew word for disciple. So when a rabbi would invite somebody, they'd say, come and follow me. And the goal of a Talmudim, the goal of this word disciple, where Jesus' understanding discipleship comes from, the goal of that disciple was three things, to reorganize their life around three goals. The first goal was to be with their rabbi. You may imagine when Jesus called his disciples, he said he called the 12 so that they simply might be with him. When Jesus invited some to follow him, he said, hey, come follow me. Come and see. Just be with me. The first step of a disciple is simply to be with their rabbi. And they had this phrase, this proverbial phrase that you would be covered in the dust of your rabbi. You wanted to travel so close that the dust of his feet would kick up on you during the day. That was the first goal. Now, the second goal is to reorganize your life around becoming like your rabbi. It wasn't enough just to know what he knew. Your goal was actually to become like, to have the same passions, the same desires, the same life as your rabbi. And then finally, to go out and your rabbi to say say to you, hey, Jason, go and make disciples. You're done. You're ready. I want you to go out and do what I did. And here's the fact. The disciples didn't feel ready. But they went out anyways in the power of the Holy Spirit because they had been with Jesus. They had become, they'd started to become like Jesus. And in becoming like Jesus, Jesus sent them out to do exactly what he did. And see, this is the picture of discipleship that Jesus is calling us into. That in the church, we have to practice what does it look like for us to be with Jesus? What does that mean? Well, it means things like silence and solitude. We live in a world of of noise. We live in a world of distraction. What does it mean to just be quiet and simply listen 
and to be with God. It means things like fasting. Some of us have never fasted. Maybe we fasted to lose some weight, but nothing that really moved us closer to God. What does it look like? And then things like prayer, different aspects of prayer, listening prayer, interceding for others, reading the scripture, and also things like repentance and faith to repent in community with others. There are practices that God has given us, and these practices, they're not just something we do. In fact, we're going to talk about this today. There's something that these practices do something to us. They start to change our desires and our longings, which eventually change our behaviors because our desires to be with him. Now, Beyond being with him, today we're going to focus on this idea of what does it mean to become like Jesus. And before we just jump into that, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus said, repent and believe. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. The first call of a disciple is, is to believe. But in believing, the other thing that Jesus said is we need to be baptized. The first step of discipleship in following Jesus is to obey his command to simply identify with him. And I want to encourage you, I was thinking about this week, you know, baptism is an important aspect of discipleship in Christ. And if you have trusted in Christ and you've begun to follow Jesus, I wonder if if simply taking that step of obedience may really begin to move you in a new direction where you're submitting yourself to him, you're putting God first, and you're willing to simply obey him. And if you haven't been baptized, I would love to talk to you. I think that could be an important step. And it's not just a step for you. It's something we celebrate together. Because in you taking that step of faith and obedience, it reminds each one of us that our job is to be in obedience to Christ. And so consider that. Repent and believe and be baptized. Now, I want to jump into Luke chapter 6, like we said in the beginning. And look at this parable that Jesus taught. And it's one of the shortest I think one of the shortest parables in the New Testament, but it's a parable that describes what discipleship is. Luke chapter 6, verse 39. And he told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Church, can a blind man lead a blind man? No. No. Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, parable over. He's referring to discipleship, and he's referring to the leaders of his day. And Jesus called the the Pharisees blind guides. And he's saying to the community in which he's teaching that you're being led by the blind. And if the blind are leading the blind, it's going to lead to disaster. It's going to lead to chaos. But the goal of discipleship, if you look in verse 40, he said is to become like his teacher. The goal of discipleship is not to know what your teacher knows. The goal of discipleship is even not just to do what your teacher does. The goal of discipleship is actually to become like his teacher, to become like Christ. And that's what God is inviting us into. But in verse 40, notice he says that a student, when he is trained... When, when he is trained, will fully become like his teacher. Now, if you can be fully like a teacher, that means you can be kind of like a teacher or, or, or partly like your teacher. There are stages to spiritual growth, but that growth requires effort and it requires training. And the question becomes, as we jump into this, who or what are you most becoming like? 
Because spiritual formation and this idea of becoming like Jesus isn't something that just happens in the church. It happens in every aspect of daily life. There is someone or something that's teaching you. And there's someone that's something that you're becoming made into the likeness of. We become like our teacher. What, what is it that you're listening to? What are you following that you're becoming like? And then what does that process look like? You know, if you want to turn there, in John chapter 2, John actually talks about some of the stages of growth. And as we think of this process of training, meaning there's a point in which you're fully trained, but there's a point in which you're just beginning to be trained, John called that stage being a child in the faith. And he said the first thing that a child needs to know, this is John chapter 2, I think it's verse 14. He says, I write to your dear children that you would know your sins are forgiven on account of his name. You know what the first stage of growth is? You need to know why you're accepted. An important thing for a child and its development is to understand their relationship with their parents is secure. And the reason we are accepted by the Father is completely based on what Jesus Christ has done and what Christ has done alone. That God accepts us because he has forgiven us through Christ, and now we're adopted as the children of God, which means we have a security and a standing with God that isn't based on what I've done or how well I'm doing it. It's based solely on what Christ has done. And if you're at that first stage of faith and you don't feel confident in your relationship with the Father, that's where you need to start. Why am I accepted by God? He says, I write to you children so that you would know your sins are forgiven. You're accepted because of what Christ has done. Now, now that's not enough. You gotta be grounded in your identity in Christ and the gospel and what Christ has done. But the second thing is you gotta deepen in your understanding of who you are in God. And he says, I write to you, young men, because you're strong. Now, why are you strong? The word of God lives in you. And then he says, you have overcome the evil one. Now, I haven't done anything. I haven't overcome anything, but he's telling me there's something in you that is a power to change you. What do young men and young women need to know? They need to know who they are, and they need to know the resources they have to overcome the challenges in life. And what young men and young women need, they need fathers and mothers, but they need community. They need a community of people that are following in the same direction. That's the second stage. And then the final stage, and I love this, I write to you fathers, I write to you because you've known him who's from the beginning. A father and a mother, they have two things. They've got a testimony. They've got a story of what it looked like to be a child. They, they've got things they've overcome as young men and young women. And now at this stage in life, they've got something to share with the next generation. But they also, to be a father and a mother, you've got to have children. The concept of maturity in the church is not just simply the accumulation of knowledge, it's the accumulation of kids, people that you're investing your life into. Where are you on those stages? If you had to look in your life and say, hey, the, if I'm a disciple, I'm going to come fully like, a te my, like my teacher, what does that look like in my life? Am I a child? Am I a young man, a young woman? Am I a father that needs to be investing into the lives of others? Where am I? And then more than that, is this process of change actually possible? Is it possible for deep transformation to truly, to truly happen? And, and what, is that, what is that transformation, in the end, what does that transformation look like? You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul described the transformation that God wants to work out in our life like this. He says, and we all with unveiled face, 
beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, meaning the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He's saying the more that we see God, the more that we are with God, the more we become like God by simply being in his presence. Now remember, if that's the process we're in, it's going to take training and it's gonna take practice. It's not something that just happens, but the transformation the Bible describes that God wants to do is something that has to happen from the inside out. It's not simply simply adding disciplines to my life, but it's something that God wants to work through us from the inside out. He wants to transform us in the same way that a caterpillar is transformed into a butterfly. It's the kind of transformation that God is after. So the question is, is that possible? But more importantly, is that possible in my life? With where you are today, is that deep level of transformation, is that what God is after for you? Because if I could confess just, just for a moment, I didn't think that level of transformation was possible for me. And when I say it wasn't possible for me, I'm describing my life not, not today, but in the past, but my life as a pastor. For many years as a pastor, my first 10 years of ministry, I was doing two things. I was pretending and I was performing because I did not understand what it meant to be with God. I definitely didn't want anything to do with the community of God, and I didn't believe that God could transform me into his image. And so instead of being vulnerable and humble and admit, hey, this is where I am, these are my struggles, these are my difficulties, what I did as a pastor in front of church, Sunday morning, I pretended, I performed. And what I began to do is I found things that would fill that vacuum within me. I would run to comfort and pleasure. I'd run to, to anything that would kind of numb that dullness inside, anything that would start to fill some of that void. And instead of turning to Christ, and here's what happened, God didn't allow me to walk in that path for much longer. He put people in my life. And he put people in my life who loved me enough to come alongside me and say, Jason, God wants something more for you. God wants something more. And in fact, I had a friend that came to me and he said, Jason, I want you to know you're bitter and angry. And I proceeded to yell at him and tell him I was not. I was like, what do you mean I'm bitter? I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. And he goes, I- I've got to tell you, there's something going on in your life. Right there's, there's bitterness. There's anger. And I don't believe... I don't believe you ex- you've truly experienced God's forgiveness. Now, that was offensive because I said, what do you mean? I've trusted in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. I believe in the gospel. He goes, no, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying his daily forgiveness for you and the magnitude of the weight for what Christ has done for you, you're holding on to things in your life. And you know what? Um, my wife already knew that. The Holy Spirit knew that. But in that moment with that person, for whatever reason, I started to know it. And I said, you're right. And I started to forgive people in my life that I thought had wronged me and hurt me. And I really turned in some ways into a victim, walking in brokenness instead of walking with my Redeemer. And God began to change me. He began to change me. I remember the first time I got up in front of my entire church. And at that time, I, I, was, I was, had some addictive practices in my life. And I confessed them to my elders. And I said, you know what, this could get me fired. And I came up and I just confessed it in front of the whole church. I don't know if you've ever confessed your sins to another human being, 
but I've never felt more freedom from that moment on because in that moment, I was fully known. Now, I didn't know if the church was gonna fully love me, but I knew that my father did. And I began to walk in a pattern of freedom. God wants to bring transformation into your life. But first of all, we've got to be willing to admit that we need it. And the transformation he wants to bring, church, understand, it's not small. It's significant. Even where you are today, the change that God wants to bring, it's radical. It's from the inside out. He wants to transform us from one degree of glory to another as as we set our, our eyes on the Lord, who is the Spirit. So today, I just want to be real practical about what this looks like. And what I want to show you are two paradigms for change. One paradigm is called the unintentional spiritual formation paradigm. It's what happens when we just kind of do nothing. We get up in the morning, we go about our day, maybe we come to church, maybe we read the Bible from time to time, but there's no real intention in our life to follow Jesus. The second one we're going to look at in just a minute is intentional spiritual formation. So first of all, what are the factors that influence us and cause us to become the people that we're going to become? Well, first of all, the first thing, the most, in some ways the most important and, and most powerful are the stories that we believe. Now, all of us grow up believing certain stories, Stories about ourselves, and maybe it's a story that your parents told, or maybe it's a story based on your grades or your upbringing or or whatever it is. There's stories that we believe about ourselves, and we walk often in obedience for many, many years in obedience to those stories. So, for example, if God doesn't exist, that's a story, and my life will follow in line with that belief and that story. Now, for me, The challenge I had as a pastor and and the deep challenge I had in my heart that I didn't realize was there is I didn't believe or I couldn't understand why God would want me. I just could not understand why God would want me because in my life I experienced a lot of rejection, a lot of shame, a lot of name call, a lot of rejection. I was a kid that struggled uh, just in school. I was dyslexic, still am. Struggled in a lot of different ways, and, and I just felt worthless. And I couldn't understand why God would accept me. And see, because I had that story, my behaviors followed. I pretended, and I performed. Because that storyline told me, this is the way you need to behave. And all of us have these stories that we're telling ourselves, stories that we go over in our minds, and it's leading our directions, it's leading our behaviors. But second, here's the second influence, it's, it's leading our habits, Our stories influence our habits, and our habits begin to shape our life. Now, I know some of you, because I see you out there, some of you love running, you love hiking, you love skiing, you love all that stuff. Some of you are just, you know, professed um, at riding your bikes up these mountains, and to me, it just, it seems impossible. I mean, I love hiking up Bergen Peak, and I see someone like in their 70s just trekking right past me, and they're going right up. Bergen Peak, and it, it, they're not even slowing down. Now, I imagine in the beginning, when you first start running, you probably don't love running in the beginning. You start running because somebody says, hey, this is something you need to do. You need to get healthy. And so you go, you go running. You try, you start that habit. And over time, the habit leads to a, it, it starts to grow. And you start actually loving that that habit, it's something that you start to love to do because our habits are not just things that we do. They're things that form us and they shape the things we love. 
Now, the example that applies for me rather than running and going up a mountain is, is actually coffee. Now, let, let me explain. In my day growing up, coffee was disgusting. Didn't smell like peppermints. You know, there was no mocha in the coffee. It was this nasty black pot at 7-Eleven my dad would go and get when I'm five, six years old, right? And, and it looked horrible. It, it looked terrible. And at church, they had that same, I guess everybody had the same pot, right? It looked, it just, it looked burnt and disgusting. And I didn't want anything to do with coffee, certainly not as a, a young child. And then I got married and then by some miracle, I got a job, and then we had kids. And so by 28, 29, 30, I'm tired. And then somebody introduced me to coffee. And, and I still thought, this is nasty. I, I don't want this. And so I started putting, you know, cream. I started hiding its coffee, its coffee elements and put cream and sugar, all that stuff in it. And I started drinking it because the effects of coffee started to have an impact in my life. And eventually people started telling me about better coffee and it, and it's funny, over time, this, this little habit, I started loving coffee. I started seeking coffee. I started wanting to find different kinds of coffee because that habit of simply doing something started changing my desires, changing my passions. And the same thing is true in the spiritual disciplines. We're going to talk about this in life. They work the same way. They're not just things we do. They're things that do things to us. And the more you do them, the more they start to shape you. So what right now are the habits that are shaping you? And they're not shaping you for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control. They're, they're shaping you for anxiety, for anger. If my story could be told, bitterness. What are the stories? What are the habits you're walking in? And see, that leads to fruit. Fruit in your life. What is your life producing? If we're not intentional to follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that you're not changing. You're changing. There's stories that you're telling yourself. There's stories you're listening to. There are habits you're living out of. And then third, there's relationships you're walking in. I think Paul said in, in Corinthians, you know, bad, bad company corrupts character, but good company builds character. And we have this tendency to gather with people who are like us. Now, a statistic I heard this week, and it's, it's really disappointing but I was listening to uh, a podcast, and they were talking about what influences people to go to the churches they go to, and they said it's not, and, and this is a pastor, it's not theology. And I was like, what? Of course it is. You guys care about that. That's what you care about. It's not theology. Actually, what influences people the most when it comes to their faith and their discipleship in Jesus as to where they will align themselves is if they believe their political beliefs are also held in that place, or at least the people around them hold the same political weight as they do. In our culture and within the church today, politics has a greater discipling impact in your life than Jesus. And this isn't me. This is Barna. These are guys that study this stuff. That's more important to people. And so we gather with people who vote like us, who do things like us. And following Jesus isn't as important. Rather, what's important is being in my tribe or being in my place. What's influencing your relationships? What's driving them? Because see, the stories we tell ourselves will influence your habits. They're gonna direct your relationships. And the final thing is the environment we live in. The environment we live in, it shapes us and molds us and directs us. You know, when, when we moved to Colorado, there's a lot of things that have changed in just the three years that we've been in Colorado. I never wore vests. Never wore vests until I moved to Colorado. You know, Massachusetts and Texas, that wasn't a thing. But vests, 
you know, it just keeps you warm. It's cold sometimes. Vests are a big thing. And then I learned this word mountain sexual. Have you ever heard that? No? Well, I heard about it. Well, it's a thing up here. And, and the point is, there are things in your environment that begin to shape you, whether you realize it or not. And the more you're in that environment, the more it starts to make you into a certain kind of person. So the question is, if we're not intentional to following Jesus, we're going to be made into the image, the likeness of something. What are the stories you're telling yourself? What are the habits? What are the relationships? What's the environment? All of it is molding you to become like someone or something. And what's the fruit of that life? And here's the reality. That transformation, it doesn't happen overnight. Those influences, they influence over time, and it changes us over time but it happens. So if this is unintentional spiritual growth, what does intentional spiritual growth look like? Let's look at that just for a minute. What does it mean to follow Jesus? How do we have counterformation? I don't know if you've heard that term. Because if our world is forming us, you see this in scripture, Paul says, hey, watch out, the days are evil. John talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. This is stuff that just comes to us because we live in a world where the storyline isn't the storyline of God. And the first thing that has to change for us is we have to change our story. What's the story? The story we believe in is the gospel story. The gospel story begins with this idea that there is a creator to whom I owe, I owe everything. And that creator has created all things good, which means behind every one of my sinful desires is a good desire. I wish I was taught that a long time ago. I could have saved myself a lot of pain, a lot of shame, and a lot of hurt if I knew that under every sinful desire is a desire that God has created and that he has created good. My lust under that is a desire for sex and intimacy that is beautiful and rich and good. My desire to gain the approval of others under that is a need for relationships and a need for love and acceptance from others that underneath every single broken desire is a good desire. The problem is I want the broken stuff more than I want the good stuff. It's called sin. It's rejecting the creator, and instead of following my creator, I have worshiped and served created things. I have lived for the approval of man rather than being just simply pleased and satisfied with the acceptance of God. I live for money and success. I I live a certain way with a certain title because these things give me an identity. They give me status. They give me reason. They give me purpose. But I'm rejecting my creator. The story of the gospel is all things are good. God created all things good. Underneath our broken desires are good desires, but we have turned and rebelled from God. And there's nothing we can do to fix that relationship. And that's why God didn't send us an accuser or a condemner. He sent us a savior. He sent us himself. The Messiah has come so that through faith in Christ, God welcomes me as if I have done everything that Jesus Christ had done. You know what that does to you? It starts to change your story. I start to realize, wait a minute. God, why would you love me? You know what he had to tell me? And he often had to tell me through the voice of someone else, you're created in my image, Jason. You're not your own. You were mine from the beginning, but you rebelled against me. And in you, I have placed something beautiful. I have placed myself, and I want myself to come out of you. 
I want it to come out through your personality, through your background, through your community. I want it to come out through you to others. I want others to see me in you. It's not about you. When the gospel started to become the center and I realized I'm accepted, I'm a child, and I started realizing, God, you don't love me because I do it right. You love me simply because of what Christ has done. I started doing it right. Not because I was gaining things from the Father, but I wanted to experience the Father's love. I wanted to experience his pleasure and I wanted to introduce others to it. And I started to become a young man and God sent community into my life and the gospel began to change me because it wasn't about trying harder. It was about training harder. And it was about trusting more. When the story of the gospel becomes your story, life begins to change. But you have to be willing to see life through the lens of the gospel. You've got to see it through the lens of God's teaching. So the second thing that happens is once you have the story in place, it's the habits. And I would call them the practices, the intentional practices of the way of Jesus. Those practices have to begin to come in place with things like prayer and scripture reading, things like repentance and faith. You know, one of the most beautiful things that have ever happened to me is a friend saying, Jason, I don't think you understand God's forgiveness. You know, it wasn't just, hey, here's something you need to do or here's, here's some practices you need to take on, but I think what you need to recognize is you don't think God's good. You don't think God's gracious. I'm like, wait a minute. Of course I do. No, you wouldn't be running after things God calls bad if you believed he was good. And I had to stop and go, you're right. He goes, you know, the only solution to that is not just a behavioral change. It's called repentance. Father, forgive me. I don't trust that you're good. Would you show me your goodness in Jesus' name? You know what God began to do? He started showing me how good he is. He started showing me in scripture, in prayer, in community. He started showing me his goodness and the practices of the disciplines of the spiritual life, like prayer and scripture reading, all those things, they came alive because now I've got a relationship with God and I'm learning to walk out of his story. Do you see what begins to happen? The practices are not just things we do. They're things that do things to us and they start to change our desires. They start to change our longings. They start to change us from the inside out. Now, the third thing we need, we need the story, the gospel, we need teaching, we need those practices, but we need not just relationships, we need community. Now, what's the difference between relationship and community? Relationship is what we choose based on preferences, and there's nothing wrong with that. You have relationships in a church, there's people you want to get along with because you just connect, you click, but community is the family of God. Community is the relationships we have because we simply follow Christ together. These are people, right? We wouldn't hang out. I imagine in this room, like, we wouldn't all hang out and do the same thing or hang out together. But it's because of Jesus that we've come together in community with one another to love one another, forgive one another, be patient with one another, serve one another, care for one another. That's what community is. Community is those people who are pursuing the same path that you're on. And they come alongside you and they invest into your life and they guide you in the same path because now, instead of being unintentional, remember, we're being intentional. So I'm being intentional to get in a small group. Even though sometimes small groups can be difficult, it takes a while to get to know people, maybe I feel uncomfortable, but I wanna get into that rhythm, into that life because it's gonna begin to shape and it's gonna begin to change me. And at the center of all things, it's not just environment. The center of change is, is the Holy Spirit. 
The Spirit is now that dynamic. It's the air that I breathe. It's the water that I drink. And the Spirit, through the gospel, through the practices, through community, he's making me more and more into the likeness of his Son. Are we being intentional simply to follow Jesus? And, and, and just for a minute, could I break down some myths? Knowledge is not enough. The purpose of the teachings of Jesus is that we would practice them. In the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' greatest, loftiest teachings in the beginning at the end, I think it's in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, he's, he talks about it's those that practice them. Those that practice my teachings will be great and be blessed in the kingdom of heaven. And then at the end, like a bookend, right? Like chapter 1 and the last chapter. In chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the wise man who builds his life on the rock. And he says, the wise man is those that take my words and actually puts them into practice. The Christian life, to become like our teacher, it takes training. It takes practice. So here's a question again I want to ask you. The first step, I think, in some ways is called simplicity. What's the stuff in your life right now that's yielding bad fruit? What's the stories you need to cut off? Sometimes the stories come to us from the outside world, the TV that we turn on, the podcast we listen to. Sometimes they come from the stories we rehearse all the time. But how can you begin to shut off the wrong stories and begin to listen to the true story? What do you, what do you need to do just simply to simplify your life? I, I've encouraged you the first 10 minutes of the day, when you get out of bed and you're sitting on the side of the bed, 10 minutes just to be silent and to be still and to thank God that he's with you. And maybe the day before you yelled at your wife or something went on and you just sit there and often we'll sit there and say, thank you, Father, that I'm a child. I thank you my sins have been forgiven on account of your name. I thank you that I've been adopted and you have poured out your lavish, as Paul says, a lavish love in my life. This is who I are. This is who I am. And as I begin this day, I want to begin in your story, just simply sitting there for 10 minutes. Church, what simple thing can you just begin to cut out? What can you turn off? And then where can you take your next step of community? Maybe for some of us, we need to be community for others as well. That we've been walking with Christ for a long time, but we don't have children. And it could start with as simple as, as Doug and Claudia, what they said, you know, just take someone out to lunch and ask them, hey, what's going on in your life? Listen first. Discover the story that they're walking in. Remember that unintentional pattern? That's a great way to understand discipleship. That person's walking in a story. They've got habits in their life. They've got broken relationships and environments. And if you would just listen to that story and begin to bring the gospel story alive in their life, God begins to change them, to be honest with them and walk in that path. You know, this is only something we can do together. The church isn't about consuming great teaching or, or just learning great information. It's about following Jesus in a world, a world that doesn't understand what life is truly about, which is following our creator, knowing his love, knowing his grace, knowing his power, and walking out into a world, in a sense, saying all the things that sin has destroyed, they're gonna become untrue. And we have a chance to bring the healing, the redemption, the wholeness, the restoration into the lives of others. But it starts as we're willing to follow him.
So as we close this morning, I wanna encourage some of you, maybe what you need to do this morning is just to come up or in the back and experience communion. Say, Father, I thank you that I'm accepted through Christ and Christ alone. Some of us, as we sing, it's just to ask the Spirit, God, um, where do I need to simplify? Or maybe you need to ask the person sitting next to you, what's the fruit you're seeing? What are the habits? And hopefully that person will lovingly start to to bring some truth and change the story because now you're walking in community and simply to get honest and start evaluating our life. What's the fruit? What are the habits? And then how can I start changing those through simplicity to the habits that lead to the life that God's called us to? If we're not willing to follow the lifestyle of Jesus, we're gonna miss out on the life, the true abundant life that Jesus offers. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that um, I thank you that you didn't send us a perfect teaching. You sent us a perfect person that Jesus was in, in the very image of God. By him, all things, Jesus, were created, whether things in heaven or things in earth. You created all things visible and invisible. You created all thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. You created all things because all things are for you and they're by you. And under you, everything begins to make sense. But you're also, Jesus, you're the head of the body, the church. You are the beginning, the first to be raised, the firstborn among the dead. So that over everything, my sin, my brokenness, you might have supremacy. And so in Jesus' name, Father, we want to give Jesus the supremacy that he deserves. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He has come into this world to redeem us, not to condemn us, but to give us life and life in his name. And that could begin just this morning by saying, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Father, I'm tired of chasing the created things. I want to know my creator as my Abba, and my Father. Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Holy Spirit, come in. Fill my life and begin to give me that new heart that longs for the things of God. And Father, for some of us, Holy Spirit, would you convict us that the stuff that leads to fruit that's rotten, it's broken, we hate it, we despise it, but our habits are leading us back to it. Where can we cut off those habits? begin practicing in intentionality the way of Jesus and bring people into our lives, Father. May we be the answer to someone's prayer in this room right now who knows they're alone and they're walking in brokenness and they simply need to be loved or they need generosity, they need community, they need us to stand up and say we are the people of God and we want to walk and bring the power of the kingdom in their life. Father, may we be that answer. Guide us in this truth so that, Father, we may be transformed from one degree of glory to another. We thank you, in Jesus' name.